Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Indeed. Good morning. Welcome to the war. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this very beautiful day. Beautiful sunshine. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, that you let the rain and the sun shine and fall on the righteous and the wicked. Lord, that you are no respecter of persons in that matter. You're gracious and good. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your compassion, your long suffering. We thank you, Lord, for your example to us. And we pray now this day that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation and instruction of your love and truth, that we might be truly transformed, converted, um, understand what this is all about, the will of the Lord for our lives, Lord, and to look at you and to see how you did things. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for for extinguishing your life, for becoming a servant, a slave, a son, uh, a human being, that we might be brought to life and for raising from the dead that we might be justified. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious and generous gift. Lord, thank you also for giving us power and a mandate. You said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Help us to walk in the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that you walked in. I thank you also for the divine promises over us this day as we come against the powers of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, that you would give us protection that this radio uh, show with its uh, truth would go forth, Father, to the masses, that it would reach people in far places that are in desperate need, Lord God, that they'd be encouraged, that they'd be drawn, that they'd find this, that it cannot be hidden, obscured, or, or uh, scattered anymore, Father God, that the word of your truth goes forth into all the earth. And I thank you that you cover our families, those who work for us and pray for us and love us, and the many that come and listen and, and seek help from you through us, Lord, that they be encouraged today, blessed and protected, all of us in our health, in our safety, in our traveling, our vehicles, our finances, our property, the work of our hands, the fruit of our labors, that we would be established according to your word and your your desire, your will, your righteousness, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Hey. Good morning. We got to learn about what Jesus would do. What did Jesus do? Well, you know, how did he deal with people? Yeah, right. You know, we've heard that uh, saying, it's, it's kind of trite almost for mm-hmm. years and years what would jesus do mm-hmm. and that's still we're you know still very significant it's not a very significant well, statement but we want to look today at what did jesus do well and to make this even more relevant and meaningful to this moment you know this scurrying scampering conspiracy world gone mad that we're dwelling in living in the midst of right now is, you know, it's, it's, it's about a clash of a lot of personalities and fault finding and, and mudslinging and all kinds of things, finding fault, blaming people, uh, trying to control one another, trying to uh, legislate our agenda through bribery and blackmail and whatnot. But the thing is, this, this, this whole world, our life, the conflict is about none other personality than Jesus Christ himself. He is the only personality that that this whole thing that that becomes the pivot 
the pivotal point, the, the controversy, the, the dividing line between light and dark, good and evil is Jesus Christ. So he is the particular personality and understanding what he did and how he accomplished what he did when he was with us will help us to understand and accomplish and walk with him and walk like him in these days. Well, and, and Satan, you know, is he's making efforts. He will do anything he can in influencing and controlling human beings to block that revelation of who right. Jesus Christ really is. And to discredit not only Jesus Christ and his witness, his word, his, his testimony among us, but to discredit his followers. And so um, I think it's really important that we get back to the very, very basic, basic, basic of Jesus Christ himself. And, you know, I just got to say that for all of the church stuff and religious stuff and programs and promoting and even in the religious communities, Jesus, the concept of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the savior, the rescuer, the, the, the king coming soon is almost lost in, in the trimmings of what we try to do to make ourselves. I think we tried to, we've tried to readjust the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to use it, to make us socially acceptable to remove our reproach and in the fact of trying to remove our reproach and make this gospel nice and palatable and comfortable and accessible and, and, and like with a club, you know, mentality, we've actually become a reproach. The world does not respect us, but they never lost their respect for Jesus Christ. They hated him, but they never um, could find fault with him for being double-minded or fearful. And I think that's a big key um, standing our ground. Well, Jesus Christ too has been, you know, misinterpreted and misunderstood. Oh, sure. People. And so, so many, uh, you know, religious organization churches just in the process, it's like they did in the, or the old Testament, God revealed himself mm-hmm. as the holy, loving, perfect God. What happened? People got so involved in the rituals right? and, and they got kind of worn Locked. out with the rituals, yeah. even though those worn things, out, yeah. yeah, worn out with a lot of the rituals mm-hmm. and they turned to other gods. That's what's going on here today. So Jesus is really being obstructed mm-hmm. by our Obscured. religious yeah. church uh, programming Ritual. for the most part. Right. Yes. So let's go back to Jesus. Um, first of all, I think the most important thing, and you've got a lot of good stuff to say, but it, it, that's the basic, basic of, of what, whenever we're dealing with people and ourselves included, if we're a people, right, is that we got to know who we are. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from, and he knew what he was supposed to do. Well, yeah, and we, we come to this place, too, is that we, as human beings, our, our natural condition created in the likeness and image of God. Mm-hmm. We have this, this is, this is our, we did not evolve. It, it didn't, we did not come. Evolve. From, it, it, we, yeah. Did I say devolve? Well, no, I think you, I don't know what. We did not evolve. Yeah. We've actually kind of devolved as far as our behavior is concerned as a human race, but we are created in the likeness and, and image. the image of God. That is our identity. Even though that identity mm-hmm. has been, Mm-hmm. Uh, mucked over, it's like we, we've been caught up in this present evil age, just through centuries and centuries of of, of sin and lies, lies mm-hmm. and, and degradation and violence and war and so forth. We have gotten to the place where we've lost. We don't a lot. really know who we are That's anymore. Right. That's right. We don't really know who we are anymore as a as a race. 
and as individuals. Well, Jesus, like I said, knew who he was. And um, he was, in Hebrews, it talks about that. He was the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person, all things by the word of his power, that he might make that by his power, when he had made himself, purged our, he purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. So he is the author of life. He is the essence of life. He is the way life consists and is held together. So Jesus Christ, you know, when he came here, he, he laid down his glory in heaven to take on the form of a human being and what he did, that he still knew who he was and he knew where he came from. And that's how he was able to with God and the authority that he demonstrated. And just backing up a little bit, Marjorie, you know, he sees, he perfectly sees our true condition right. as human beings. He sees that, you know, the Bible describes lost, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and he came we, to seek and save that which was lost. That's right. And and we're, we're blinded. The Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, this God of this world, has small g, mm-hmm. Satan, yep. is the God of this present evil world, has blinded the mm-hmm. minds yep. of those that don't believe, mm-hmm. lest the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, and then in the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says that we're dead. Dead in sins and trust. In, in other words, we're separated yeah. from God. Cut off. Our mm-hmm. iniquities, uh, Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, have separated us from our God. So, our condition, though created in the likeness of the image of God, we have come to the place where we're lost, blind, we're dead in sins and trespasses, and that's why God sent his son. And notice when Jesus came, he knew the condition of man. He also knew in his heart, in, in uh, chapter 2 of John, last couple of verses, very interesting comment. Um, and this is, this is why he was fearless. This is why he was able to look at us as the lost, as the blind, as the dead, because he said, um, now, when he had come to Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He already knew that man was lost, confused, um, alienated, and, and deceived. But notice when he said lost, he, and Paul elaborates on this lostness a little bit by talking about enslaved. Man was enslaved, enslaved, not depraved. And I think the devil has tried to uh, stick in there the doctrine of depravity of man, which really causes a whole twist in everything about everything from our identity and made in the image of God and our divine origin to in our divine nature as well. Uh, to bringing about a, a total twist and perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when we're enslaved, if you're thinking about someone who's enslaved or kidnapped, lost, then that person is precious and they're worth looking for. They're worth seeking out. The, he, Jesus tells many parables, the parable of the, the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. Uh, he'd leave the 99 to go after the one. So we start to see the compassion of Jesus in the individual searching out of an individual life. Many times people I think get lost in being lost and they don't think they'll ever be found. And they don't think anybody really cares about them nor even knows their name. But Jesus Christ knows you individually were formed and individually fashioned by God. And so that's where people begin to lose hope. I'm just one of, we have of many in a number of, you know, statistics or whatever. I'm just lost in the crowd, 
But Jesus went, and in, in all of his ministry through the Gospels, he's always looking for the one. He always, the individual, he would, you know, he spoke to the masses and the crowds, and he fed the 5,000 and whatnot. But he also looked for the one, the blind man, the leper, the demon-possessed, the, uh, the woman at the well, the woman taken in adultery. He was always ministering to the one. And these weren't popular ones. These weren't ones who were given a lot of prestige in the world or or were sought out by the world as, as you know, someone special. And so Jesus sees uh, people uh, as sheep without a shepherd, mm-hmm. and very vulnerable, lost. One translation says in, in Matthew chapter uh, 9, he talks about people that were harassed and helpless. Yeah, and he had uh, compassion. Like a sheep without a, uh, without a shepherd. So he, he sees that condition, and, and so many and maybe people are listening today, you feel so overwhelmed by your problems and issues and or what's being going alone. on. Or being alone, mm-hmm. loneliness or despair or just great pain in your heart over broken relationships or even, you know, in a, in, a, in a larger view, what's going on with this world? What's going to happen with the economy, with all the violence the impossible. and storms mm-hmm. and people that uh, are, are in that place of, of feeling overwhelmed? Well, you know, I think we have to understand that Jesus came into a world where people felt the same. They felt very overwhelmed. They were harassed, crushed by the Roman Empire. They had no um, uh, means of escape. They had no military might. They had nothing. They had to hide and, and scrounge and whatever they all had to do. And yet they had to continue to live because this was the chosen people of God, even though at this point they were the most despised and crushed and, and walked over people ever. I mean, they had no distinctions. And so we see that, that, you know, Jesus came into a world that was really messy and it was, you know, a a melting pot of, of mingling of war and and rumors of war and pain and uh, crucifixions. That's the way people were executed. And quite a few common people were crucified. I mean, it's just like, there's no safety out there. And we're kind of like at that place today, but going back to how he handled this, Jesus really there's no indication that he got real political. He did have a, several very uh, heated encounters with the religious um, group, the, uh, the the elite of the day, the religious elite. Um, but he scribes and Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees and right? Lawyers, the lawyers, lawyers mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. But he didn't he didn't go out of his way to pick a fight with them. I mean, it seems like they came to him and they were challenging his authority. By what authority are you doing this? You know. And so, but because Jesus really knew what was going on behind the scenes, he knew the war, he knew the the diabolical uh, programming, if you will, that Satan had set up, the treachery, how Satan had blinded, as you said, the the minds of the hearts of the people. They were locked down in a blindness. They were suffocating in darkness. They had no idea how to get out. Everything was overwhelming. And in many cases, they were so dis. Uh, deceived that they didn't even know they needed to get out. They didn't even know they were captured. They didn't even know they were bound and blind and lost. And that's really being lost when you don't even know you're lost. That's scary lost. Yeah. So in Isaiah, it talks about uh, Emmanuel, that this, this coming one, Emmanuel, who is God with us, God with us, not God above us or underneath us or around us, but God with us. Mm-hmm. And now in, in the Christian realm, it's Christ in us. 
the hope of glory. glory. Mm-hmm. But, but taking a look too in John one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is only of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus Christ, you know, the He is the eternal Word. He is He was known as the eternal Word, the only Son. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh. He came here uh, to be, in a sense, one of us, came to be a human being. So God says, I'm going to communicate my love and truth through one, a, a tangible human being, a man, who will come and tangibly de- demonstrate my love, my grace, my power. Well, and Jesus came as that man to demonstrate that love after a long history that had been almost forgotten by everyone except God. And so Jesus really knew what had happened, what was really going on behind the scenes. He knew of the conversation in the garden when the, the enmity was set up between the serpent and the woman, between the woman's seed and the seed of the, de- of the serpent, which was the devil, and how that war had continued on through the generations and had brought forth the giants, the Nephilim, tried to screw up the DNA, had had the, the world almost devastated completely through the flood, and how it had forced God, so to speak, to bring forth the law to identify his people, to keep them safe. Because Satan was constantly badgering them after them, trying to annihilate the people of God and those who would bring forth Jesus Christ, because that was Satan's goal. And God's goal, of course, was to bring forth Jesus. So when Jesus came, he knew all of the story behind the scenes. He knew the fables. He knew the Tower of Babel. He knew the flood. He knew, you know, Daniel. And, and, and he knew everything. He knew all the story. He wasn't ill prepared. It wasn't like he was stepping into a uh, a no man's land that he'd never seen before. And it, it was like when Jesus came, he was punching through all the efforts, like you say, over the centuries, mm-hmm. all the efforts of Satan to, to destroy, destroy mm-hmm. to to prevent his coming. The, the the seed of the woman, as it was spoken of in Genesis three fifteen, that was going to crush the head of the serpent. So. And in God, that knowing, God punched, punched yeah. through all all these efforts in all this shroud of, of, over the darkness of this world, punched in with the light. But Jesus, Jesus Christ knew also in that prophecy in the garden <clears throat> that the serpent would crush, you know, I mean, he would crush the head of the serpent, but the, the serpent would bruise his heel. So he knew that there was a bruising coming. He knew that he was going to have to die. Actually, he had two or three mission options, uh, uh, objectives. One was to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the, the tenets of faith and righteousness and forgiveness and truth and love and mercy, the true uh, way that the kingdom of God moves forward and the, and the, pr- the principles of the kingdom, the grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. He also came to... Um, demonstrate his love in the personal uh, ministry to the people who were broken and blind and lost and confused. But he also had to die on the cross, and that was his mission. So he knew his mission. He also knew that in that bruising, he was going to be uh, pelted by the unbelief of the religious leaders. And the, the, the common people seemed to hear him gladly. They, they rejoiced. They followed him. They loved him. They were eager to hear him. They they didn't have a hatred and a contempt, but it's like the Pharisees and, and the religious um, gatekeepers had such a contempt for the freedom and the liberty and the inclusion 
that Jesus was bringing. He was re- removing the, the caste system, the, the, the segregation, the uh, prejudices, and he was allowing the very broken, the common people, the, the beggars, the blind, to come and sit at his table. I mean, even the sinners, he had no, he was not prejudiced. He, come on in, Matthew. Come on in, uh, you know, all these people. Bring your friends. Let's have a, a sit down and eat. Let's have a party. So to speak. And what was going on in Jesus' day, as it is going on in our day, too, the the religious system, the religious was being challenged, yeah. had really uh, obstructed uh, mm-hmm. by its all the rituals and all the forms and all the rules and all the mm-hmm. uh, ways uh, had obstructed the revelation of God. Right. And Jesus came to bring that full revelation. He said he that has seen me has seen the Father. So he really reveals God as our Father, our loving, not just Yahweh or the Lord Mm -hmm. God, which Mm -hmm. he is. He's the Lord God Almighty, perfectly holy and everything. But he came to reveal God as Father, something that the people would be able to relate to. Well, and I think because the whole point was relationship, individual relationship. You can have a relationship with God in the past, they were having religious rituals and, and duties, and now Jesus wanted to turn it into devotion and passion and relationship and love. You know, if you, if you love someone, there's a relationship there, and you don't have to tell them always what to do to show that love because that just kind of comes out of the, the love itself, it, the, the desire to please, the desire to be there with them. So he knew his mission, and he always chose to do the will of the Father. So that really tells us that what he was doing was what the Father wanted to have done. And God the Father wanted the reconciliation of the common people. He wanted the, the, the demonstration of love. He wanted the people to know the truth. Now, you know, from the past, from the Old Testament, all the bloody wars, all the um, harsh actions, all of the things that, had, that you know, the, the turmoil, the confusion, the chaos of the, of the, the Old Testament, and had, that had brought the people into a, a fear of God, but not a holy fear and reverence for God necessarily, but more of a, you know, we better do what we're told or we're going to get smacked. So that gives you a concept of God that he's pretty um, owly and crabby and condemning. But Jesus came into the world. And if you look in, at the cool verses in John chapter three, which we know for God's so love the world, we know that verse. But right after that, he says, um, you know, the most, I think, even as cool as that is, for God did not send his son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but that, but that the world through him might be saved. Then he says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we have not only lostness, but we have condemnation where people are already condemned. The world's already condemned. And the only way you get out of that condemnation um, is, it, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the evil deeds were blinding them from the truth of God's love and light. For, and so he says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest he should be exposed. So if we are called the light of the world, it is for sure a given that we will be um, persecuted because th- those practicing evil hate the light. So this becomes a, 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 a decision. That we have to make. Are we going to walk as lights in the world? Are we going to walk and follow Jesus? And if we do, we're ha- going to have to take the hits like he did, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
And going back to the Old Testament, sometimes we have this idea, oh, God, he's just this big crabby ogre that's, that's always, you know, out to, you know, destroy things and so forth. Hey, when you, you look at it, stop and think about it. What he, he came to give revelation of who he is. Okay. And the, the theologians call this progressive revelation. He came to reveal himself all the way from Genesis, from the, the Garden of Eden, all the way to Revelation. It's, it's a, a revelation revealing who God is. And the things that he did when he gave guidelines, when he gave the law and so forth, he gave guidelines to prevent. A lot of these things were preventative in nature uh, to keep people from destroying themselves and destroying one another. And then also it was, it was redemption to, to set us free, to take situations where we are, uh, we go the wrong way and then God redeems and restores, heals Mercy. and sets mm-hmm. us free. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Jesus, yes, he, he knew what he had to do. He knew what he'd come to do. He came to bring that good news, the reconciliation with God and the fact that we can now have a personal relationship with God. But the best part of the reconciliation is to have freedom from guilt and fear and condemnation and loneliness, hopelessness, death, despair. I mean, these are beyond price. There's no price you can place on freedom from guilt, which is we call peace or freedom from fear. You know, people live walking in fear and anxieties of all kinds these days, as they did back then. You know, what's going to happen next? Oh no. What if we're just, we're pelted, we're covered, we're shrouded, we're gripped in these anxieties and fear. And a lot of it stems from guilt of feeling I did something wrong. I should have done something different. It's my fault. I sinned, blah, blah, blah. And a lot. And, but Jesus knows what's really going on and how the enemy has set you up to take the guilt, make you feel guilty so that he can bring upon you a demonic judgment. Jesus knows the whole deal. He sees people for the entrapments. Um, He understood their pain, their confusion. He had compassion on them because of their difficulties. And we can just look at any number of examples. Remember in in, um, Matthew, a couple of times he said, if you understood what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So Jesus was looking, that's in Matthew 9 and Matthew 12. He's talking about, you know, you're always judging one another. You're judging yourselves. You know, you're finding fault. Um, You're putting guilt on people, blame on people. And he says, if you really understand what this means, I'm here to have mercy, to forgive. You would have not condemned them. Well, we have to look at, you know, how how did Jesus do it? Okay, Um, he we talked about his mission. Mm -hmm. And then what about his methods? Well, Uh, let's look at some of those methods. Well, let me just. What do you want to do first? Oh, oh, man, (laughs) these the methods are powerful. You, you kind of compare a lot of times what we're doing in, in, in many churches today, the methods of reaching to people. And then we have to look at Jesus' methods, and it's like, like it's not even in the same country. Uh, yeah. So Planet. here's what he did. Uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea 
and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached. Now, here's, here's how Jesus did it. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, and look at what he did. I mean, specifically in John chapter 8, we have the, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now, this would be a, now this wasn't a health issue. Um, this was a social issue. This was a crisis issue because she was going to be stoned because of the law. But see, the enemy wanted to put Jesus on uh, in a tough situation, putting, t- testing him, putting him to the test regarding the law, because the law had commanded that any such woman be, or, or persons that were caught in the midst of adultery or in the act of adultery would be immediately stoned and uh, no questions asked. And so they thought this would be a good opportunity to test Jesus, really. I mean, this woman, she got in trouble, but this was a setup. Uh, Jesus happened to be in the right place at the right time, and they brought this woman. I'm sure that they actually have probably even set this up so that they could uh, bring this, uh, you know, bring Jesus to the place where he had to admit that he was going to disobey the law by not killing her. And But Jesus, you know, they all were ready to stone her and, and, and fulfill the law, which is not... You know, I mean, the law is there to kill, basically. He says the, the spirit, the, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And so they were ready to kill her. So they, they were more concerned about, you know, following the rules than the person, than the life of that person. Oh, for sure. They had no interest in her. As a matter of fact, she was, she was helpful to them. They were using her at that moment in the situation to test, like I said, to test Jesus. This was not even about her, really. It was about Jesus. But Jesus didn't make it about himself. He made it about her, and he said, okay, all right, guys. He says, now this is, I'll just, in Matthew, John chapter 8, he says, um, they were saying, now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And they said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They, they couldn't find anything. He, you know, Jesus, when he was going to the cross, he says, and Satan has nothing on me. They couldn't find a, a single thing. Satan was trying to figure out, get some evidence that he could present before the, the father and say, look, your son is disobeying you. He's not, he's following me. He, he's not keeping the law. But Jesus, so we know that Satan was trying to gather dirt on Jesus. And, and he says here, um, they were testing him that they might have something to accuse him with. And Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So interesting what he's doing. He's not engaging. Typically, we would begin a debate, a dialogue, a conflict. We begin to hurl accusations and comments as, as ourselves, you know, just kind of out of our own defense of human nature to try to, you know, uh, answer our accusers. And Jesus knew that that was not the issue. He was also jumping into some kind of debate was not gonna, was not going to do the job right there. Right. And, and many times I think we, we need to understand this when you're debating with uh, demons, that it doesn't work. And a lot of times we have to recognize that the demons you're debating with are operating through the people that you're fighting with or that are fighting with you or that are in contention against you or whatever. And so we have to recognize that you're not, it's not flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Jesus wasn't wrestling against flesh and blood here. He recognized this was Satan manifesting through the vile contempt that was in these, um, these accusers. And so he was, he knew you don't debate the devil. And same with Pilate. He was quiet. He didn't say anything. He, he knew that he wasn't his, 
you know, his remarks were very strategic. He did say some things, but he didn't get defensive because he didn't even want this thing to be undone. He was going forward to the cross at that point. So he, he stoops down, writes on the ground with his finger as though that he did not hear them. Now there's an interesting verse in Jeremiah where um, I can't remember the verse right now, but it, I, I've read it before where the, the, the names of those condemned would be written in the dust, written in the dirt. Written in the earth, and yes. who knows if Jesus wasn't beginning to write the names of those who were pointing their fingers at him with, as his finger was writing their names that they would be condemned. And so I, I think there's a, a hidden and a double meaning in his doing that very thing because they would have known what that means. I mean, that was, um, you know, an inside joke, but it wasn't a joke that they would have known exactly what that means because they knew Jeremiah and that when you see writing your, your finger, writing in the dirt, the names, he, he was, he was reminding them of the condemnation that they were looking at. Those were, who were about to condemn this woman caught in adultery. They were the ones who were condemned. Right. And they, he, he needed to remind them. So that, that was the, a very critical piece here. It wasn't just a little, you know, nothing that Jesus did. He always did things with a very, specific purpose. He never wasted words. He never wasted actions. He was very concise. He, so, said, he said in John eight twenty nine, I always do those things that please the father. Right. And so he was, so when they continued asking him, he stood up, he raised himself up and said to them, now you can imagine the scene here. The woman's probably laying at the, on, on the ground, thrown down in front of him. I think that's exactly what happened. Um, and she, she was, you know, there, at the mercy of what would happen, the outcome of what this discussion would, would bring. He, he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the st- a stone at her first. So now he was causing them, commanding them, making them look at their own hearts, their own sin. You know, and that's the way we are a lot of times. We will judge other people. We will lay railing accusations against them. And we're doing the very same thing. We're doing the exact same thing, but we're blind to it. And that's scary because, you know, judge not lest you be judged. A lot of times we're judging people and by, in the very act of judging them, we have judged ourselves. And we are also more than likely super guilty of doing the same thing. That's why it's foolish to judge people. You can separate out the person from the demons and deal with the demon separately. And you know that the enemy is the one that we are given power over, power to bind and to loose. The people we are to forgive. So he said, okay, whoever's without sin, go ahead. You keep the loss. And he stooped down and he rode on the ground some more. Now, when they heard it being convicted by their conscience, so thank God there was, this was, Jesus was very successful here in getting them to be convicted, prick consciences. And this is where, I believe it was he wasn't condemning them. He wasn't calling them stupid. He wasn't yelling at them. He wasn't trying to promote his own brand of anything or promote himself. He wasn't even saying the woman wasn't guilty. He, he was just getting them to do, take responsibility, so to speak, prick their own conscience, listen to them being convicted by their consciences. They went out one by one, beginning at the oldest, even to the, to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So, He's there. He's standing there. And when Jesus had raised himself, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one was there, so he was stooping down, no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are, are those accusers of yours? 
who has no one condemned you. So he was like acting like he didn't know what was going on to see, to let her speak. This is the first opportunity she gets to speak. And so he's asking her about her condemnation, accusers, what happened. And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What does that mean? Does that mean that, um, that her sin was the problem or was her identity and her faith and her belief or believing the lie that she was an adulterer, that that's all she could do, that she was defiled, that she was, it was, you know, pointless for her to try to be anything other than um, a hooker, so to speak, because that's all she'd ever known or that's what she'd been forced into doing. So many people are sinning. I think everybody sins because they believe a lie, a lie about themselves, a lie about what's going on, a lie about how to get out of the problem. And all these lies are coming from the liar who's giving you solutions or giving you, he's either describing you, giving you a definition of who you are. I am bad. I'm no good. I'm defiled. I'm defective. I'm a hooker. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I am this, I am that. And as we embrace those identities, descriptions that Satan gives us, we become a sinner and we sin, and sin then becomes another adjective to describe who we, what we're, you know, it describes what we're doing. It's not meant to describe who I am, but if I believe the lie, then that's, that takes over, that, that controls my actions and controls my concept of who I am. But Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. You know, he knew she had been set up. He knew from childhood, she probably had been sexually assaulted, abandoned, orphaned. Who knows her story? But all those stories, Satan puts them together to bring forth great destruction in the individual lives. So this woman was set free. And if she would know who she was, if you know who you are, if you know that I am not an alcoholic, I am not a, a loser, I am not. God did not create me to be destroyed. He did not create me to be controlled by uh, fear or by anxiety or by the opinions of others. I am created as the son or daughter of the most high God. And therefore that's who I am. And once you begin to know who you are, you can begin to honor and be um, uh, in agreement with who you are. Walk as a person of integrity. And then you can, those things that you are not like drinking, using, lying, gossiping can fall off of you, but it has to start with really being convinced that what you see yourself doing is not who you are. And that's what this Jesus was saying to this woman. You are not what you're doing here. Don't do this. Anymore. Don't do this sin anymore. Don't do this behavior. Anymore. It's not who you are. Um, and he said to the, uh, uh, the, the guy he healed, I think in John five or John nine, he says, go and sin no more. lest the worst thing come upon you. That's a little addition to the go and sin no more part. Because Jesus was telling him when you sin, you open up the door. Um, for more bad things, calamities, judgments from Satan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Sin, sin, uh, uh, sin in our lives allows a landing strip for Satan, and and he basically brings in. not only a landing strip, but he sets up an airport and sets you can set up a resident uh, residence there, and he, it's called a stronghold. So, yes, exactly. So, so the lies open the door to sin. Sin opens up the door to the enemy coming in and to have control in mm-hmm. that area of our lives. And then, then there's all kinds, you know, condemnation right. that we feast, that, you know, self-condemnation well, and so forth that, that comes. Well, devil sets this all up to operate his systems of control. That's what a stronghold does. It controls. 
And he can't control you unless he can get you to agree with him. And this is how the lies work. So when you're yielding to I'm stupid, no good, um, I'm an adulteress or whatever, you're, you're, you're agreeing. And in that agreement, you give the and you're, and you're also saying if you believe that you're if you don't believe, let's say that you're forgiven by Jesus Christ and that you can walk out of that, be set free. You don't have to do that anymore. And you continue to practice sin. Then the devil brings in guilt and guilt then takes over you and begins to bring pain and judgment. So the demonic judgments of uh, and the lifestyle patterns of destruction that Satan sets up in our lives become the ropes that he uses to bind us up more and more until we're the only way that we can ever be set free then is through the love of Jesus Christ and Jesus getting to this woman and, and same the same with the woman take uh, the woman at the well, you know, there in John chapter four, he stops, you know, for to rest along the way. And, I, he as again you said he was there to do the will of the Father. There were divine appointments set up for him for his day. He didn't necessarily write them in a schedule, and I think that's why we have to be a little more free and flexible um, because you don't know what divine appointment God might have for you this day. And some of you are really good at that, and some of you just fly by your opportunities because God had a plan for him to complete and uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, a blueprint, and he was filled with the spirit of God looking at characteristics of Jesus, his characteristics and methodology. Part of the big part of it, that he was filled with the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit came upon him when he was baptized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in John three thirty four says that the spirit was, uh, was given to him without measure. In other words, he had, there was a fullness Full of the Holy spirit mm-hmm. and, uh, that, uh, he had he possessed in his life and and then he was following the leading he was he was praying a lot every day he would he would get before the father alone mm-hmm. and he got his directions his guidance yeah. day by day moment by moment step by step from the father uh, and he was he was fully led filled with and led by the holy spirit for all those appointments that he had mm-hmm. uh, day by day and all throughout that three and a half year. But uh, Jesus ministry. had to in that. Yes, he had to lay down his own will. He could not have his own agenda and he came to do the will of the father. And so he did. He could only do the will of the father when he had no will of his own to do anything on his list. And so if you go to the story, it's kind of interesting how this all got set up. Um, verse four of four, John four, four. But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through. That was the day's assignment. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground uh, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, listen to this, being wearied from his journey, sat, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Okay, so he got tired. He sat down. He's full of the measure of God's spirit, and he's gotten weary. He gotten he had gotten tired, and he sat down by the well. So you see, even sometimes in our humanness, our weakness, you get a flat tire, you end up in the hospital, you get you know whatever, you get a bloody nose. All of these things can be used by God and are orchestrated by God for for some divine purpose, and that's where we we see. Then he says to the woman. So this woman shows up, a woman of Samaria, 
um, <clears throat> to draw water. Now, number one problem, she's a woman. Number two problem, we're in Samaria. Samaria was a half-breed um, uh, province, if you will. It wasn't pure. They weren't pure Jews. They were kind of inbreds, half-breeds, married to Gentiles or whatever they were. So this woman was not a pure Jew, and she was a woman. So Jesus broke all the rules of protocol and, and said to her, give me a drink. So what's this mean? That he's going to have to drink water out of her dipper, her pitcher, her, her whatever. The same dipper pitcher that she drank out of. It's kind of like, okay, uh, this, is not, this is the holy God who's stooping to drink out of a dipper that was used by an, a, a, a very loose woman, so to speak. For his disciples had gone away to buy food. So they weren't there protecting Jesus and keeping the people away from him. So Jesus had a 10-second break from all their chatter and all their, their noise and whatnot. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, a Samaritan woman? So she's, she's got the, she knows the rules. She knows the rules. Why are you breaking the rules, Jesus? Again, breaking the rules. Seems like he's always breaking the rules to help somebody. He broke the rules to help the woman in adultery. Now he's breaking the rules again to talk to this woman. How would he have ever talked to her if he went and broke? Because the rules said, you, you can't talk to her. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. Just leave her alone. We'll get you water, Peter, and say, oh, oh go, okay, go, we'll go back and get a, what was that? Do you want it, a Mountain Dew, or was that a Pepsi there at McDonald's? I'll go get it. No, <laughs> they went to get food, who knows where, marketplace somewhere. No McDonald's back then. So um, she, then Jesus started to talk to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he's kind of turned the conversation around and said, why don't you ask something of me, you know? I've asked you what for water, you know, why don't you ask something of me? And the woman said, sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with. She's still back on the problem. The, the, you know, we're, we're hung up on trying to fix the problem. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get living water? So she's like, okay, I heard that, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Where do you get the living water from? Um, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons? So she's living in the past. You know, those guys are dead. That water obviously didn't keep them alive. They're dead. You know, their livestock is dead. Jesus said, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give will never thirst again because the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is a Marvelous statement that I don't think anybody ever really thinks about. How would you like to, like to have your own water source within you? You know, well, it, a well springing up within you. Yeah, it goes to show how Jesus, just in his normal course, of a, a normal day, walking around tired, thirsty. Yeah. Yet he was full always, of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He was open to this person, to this contact. And so it is with us. And what we have to look at here is that we see how what Jesus' mission is, what his methods were, and we need to follow, be following. We're engaged in the same kind of mission. We're not going to the cross to dying for the sins of the world, but we're carrying out the ongoing mission of mm-hmm. bringing people the revelation of God, the redemption of God, that people can be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in day-to-day contact and, and studying that, whole process of uh, how he worked with the woman at the well is very valuable for us as far as how we can be sharing our, uh, sharing Jesus Christ with people today. Well, and, and remember that Jesus wasn't impatient 
with these people. He wasn't offended. He didn't take it personally when they came against him, even the Pharisees and the scribes. He, he, he didn't get offended because he knew, and this is where our critical piece is for us, we have to know who we are. And Jesus said, they're going to reject you because they rejected me. And, because, and, and they're not rejecting me or you. They're rejecting the Father who sent us. So it's like, do not get offended. Blessed is he was not offended because of me. Don't get up in arms and get personal. Take it personal because you need to know who you are. And that's where Jesus was. He knew who he was. And that's why none of this stuff really moved him to the place where he got felt rejected or hurt or offended or feelings got hurt. He just, it, it didn't happen. Well, in the case of the woman at the well here, he refused. She tried to bring him, draw him into a religious argument. He didn't, right. he didn't, right. he didn't go for it. And, and so. Uh, yeah. They're talking about worshiping and you know who you worship. Yeah, where's, you don't the, know who, where's the right place to worship? Yeah, which, this, which is, which church is the right church? But Jesus said the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in two things, in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if we're, we're worshiping God in spirit, our spirit, his spirit bearing witness with our spirit, and we're worshiping him with gratitude and praise and in truth, that pleases the Father. Um, how many people maybe don't worship like that? They worship to get a feeling. They worship to call down the presence of something. But going back to what we're talking about here, um, so, so Jesus used a word of knowledge, and he told her about her life, and, um, she, Jesus, and she says, well, the woman said, then, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So Jesus worked the conversation around, or it was worked around to the place where she got to ask the, per, the, the perfect question. Okay, let's talk about the Messiah. He's coming. This is the, remember? Remember what we said in the beginning, this is all about Jesus. This is not about any other personality out there. Don't get hung up on what the news and ABC, CBS, NBC, whatever, Fox is saying to you, wanting you to steer you this way. This is all about Jesus. This is about Jesus coming again. The Messiah is coming. So they were looking for the first coming. They didn't know that. They thought they were actually looking for the second coming because they thought he was going to come and rescue them from Rome. But so she says, we know he's coming um, and he will tell us all things. But Jesus had just told her a lot of things that there's no other way he could have known it except if he were the Messiah. So Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So you see his whole point here was to bring this woman to a place of contemplation, to think about, to, to, so then she got it and she began to go tell other people, to contemplate the, the deep conversation of a meeting with Jesus Christ. And this is the whole point of our ministry is to get people, their consciences, to be pricked, to drop the stones, to quit judging each other, uh, and, and to do that which is right, and do what they were created by God to do, act and live and believe and, and, and abide in him, in their true divine nature, and to bring them to the place where they will have an encounter and ask the question, who is Jesus? Because, you know, for most part right now, when people look at Christians, they don't think about asking anything about Jesus at all. They're just looking to find a fault with you so that they can reject your Jesus. That's all. And so Jesus is the Messiah. He wants us to reflect his love and truth to those people. And the encounter this woman had with Jesus at the well was so powerful. She went into the city, the city of Sychar. She went into that neighbor, the town where, mm-hmm. she, where she was living, and she said, 
hey, I found the Messiah. Come and see the Messiah. So they come and she gives word to, it says, to the men of the city, the women, a woman declaring to the men about Jesus. And they came out. And then and, and Jesus said, this is, you know, this is the harvest. Uh, he said, the people that were coming out uh, from that city, Jesus said to his disciples, this is the harvest. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is the harvest. This is what it's all about. He says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields in John four thirty five, for they are already white for yeah. harvest. I mean, this is these people coming out as the harvest. And this woman who has been had this powerful encounter with Jesus is uh, influencing Right. She let go of her past and her reputation and what people would say. And she's this woman with many husbands and blah, blah, blah. She blew past that, gave and, and became. And I think that's where the hope comes. I think we've got the Mary Magdalene's. We've got the people like this woman at the well. They, they, they were able to overcome maybe even the woman in adultery. We don't know. A lot of women follow Jesus. A lot of men follow Jesus. But I think what the key is that they overcame fear and the stronghold of Satan in their own life, that they were nothing, that they were the offscouring, that they were uh, labeled, that they were judged, condemned, wicked, vile, whatever. They overcame that to become his best testimony, his best advocates, his best, um, you know, personal representatives or PR. They, they were just obviously, uh, uh, you know, impressed and changed and transformed. And so that's what meeting Jesus is all about. Jesus, what does he do? He transforms people through the encounter with him. They are transformed. And that's our goal is to bring that transformation. Another one of my favorite, favorite stories is in Mark. And it's about the leper who was cleansed. And this is a good story, a true story, um, a testimony, witness uh, of what happened to someone who was beyond hope and cast off, uh, segregated from all society, lost his ability to work, commit suicide. But I think today many people in this condition would have already offed themselves. And that's not um, to say anything about that particularly, but that the leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I believe this leper had heard, it's Mark chapter 1, verse 40, I believe that this leper had heard stories about this Jesus. And I believe that he, he knew that somehow um, Jesus was going to be his last hope, if you're willing. So he, he had a good question, if you're willing, if you're willing. And how many people are sick? And how many people get tangled up in God's will? Well, if it's God's will to heal. We, we pray these prayers, and Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes and doesn't doubt. But I believe a lot of times we pray, and then we throw a, 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 a hook of doubt in there by saying, if it's God's will. That's just throwing everything out. That's, just, that's like hitting the, pushing the delete button on the prayer of faith. Because it is God's will for people to be healed. It's not God's will for them to be sick. What kind of a God are you serving? Anyway, is it your will for your children to be sick? He's a father. So who's making them sick? Who makes them think they're supposed to be sick? Who's thinking they should be judged for being bad and then now they're sick? It's all that contention and demonic judgment garbage that's going on that people can't seem to work their way through. But Jesus cuts right through it. And he, he answers the question simply. And Jesus moved with compassion. That's, where, that's a key. That's a power that's a powerful thing to move with compassion. Compassion is love demonstrated. He put out his hand and touched him and said to him, answering his question, I am willing, 
be cleansed. So there's no doubt here. The question was put out straight on the nose. Are you willing? I am willing, as a matter of fact, be cleansed. And as soon as he spoke immediately, the leprosy, and he was cleansed. It's almost like that leprosy was a demon and it fled. It wasn't like a, sometimes we get healing through, you know, progressive kind of um, process kind of things. But this thing, it said, left him. So it was like it fled, just like the fever. He rebuked it and it was gone. And I think so. We're talking about a spirit here, a spirit of uncleanness, more than likely spirit of leprosy. And, and so the, this is a very good story of the heart of God, the compassion um, to remedy things immediately, not just drag it out, drag it out, drag it out so the devil can have more time to discourage us and put up some more doubt in our head. Jesus didn't have any doubt. He just got things done. And that's what I like about him. He was, that's what people need. And when they see that, when they go to a church where they can see that, they see the honesty, the integrity, the compassion. They see that this is not about a show. It's not about a program. It's not about the rules. It's not about the law. It's not about how you dress. It's, it's about you. And it's about you coming uh, in contact, into contact with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Spirit of God, the love of God. When they see that, they are, they'll know that they're drawn to that. You don't have to do a program. You don't have to do a pony ride. You, you just give them Jesus. And, but before we can give them Jesus, we have to really have Jesus well established in our hearts ourselves. And, and that, that is done through the power of walking in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And love is, is Jesus basically expressed love. He's God's love gift to the world. God so loved the world. And Jesus knew his, his authority, Yes, uh, that he came from the Father. He spoke with authority. They, he, he didn't say, well, maybe, scary. maybe like this, but it, you know, sometimes we think of authority as like, oh man, some mean teacher that just beats us or something. No, no. He spoke with authority, not as the scribes. His word was with authority. In other words, they knew, they knew he knew what he was talking about. And they knew he was kind. He was forgiving. And it, he was, and it was kind and love and lo- authority with compassion and love and 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 he having uh, loved his own who were in the world, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, the Bible says that he loved them uh, unto the, the end. Mm-hmm. So uh, John thirteen one. So uh, the well, love and the compassion and the authority and the power and the uh, complete knowledge of who he is and who he is called to do. This is the this is really the complete package that Jesus ministered in while he was here on earth. Well, he knew who he was and he knew what he was up against. He understood the spiritual war that was being waged on earth. The stakes were high for the souls of men. And, and so he, in, like in Luke 11 and in Matthew 12, he also talks about, it, but he's talking about the kingdom divided against itself was brought to desolation. He had just cast out a demon. Obviously the demons were very active back in the day and I'm sure they're way more active now. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house falls. So he was talking about the house. What house? The kingdom. The individual. He says, where's the kingdom? The kingdom is within you. So each individual is like a kingdom and a house. 
But when it's divided, when your mind is divided, when your soul is divided against your spirit, and you don't know, you're doubtful, double-minded, confused, divided in your worth, your goodness, the goodness of God, don't know what's going on. Jesus knew what we were up against. He knew the context. He not only knew who he was and who we were, he also knew what the devil had done and how he had set this thing up to divide us, set us up in opposition to ourselves, to destroy the house. And actually in Second Timothy, there's a very good little scripture that talks about, you know, many people don't believe in spiritual warfare. And I tell you what, you have to work really hard not to believe in spiritual warfare and, the, and Satan and the devil. As a matter of fact, you'd have to take a scissors and cut those scriptures out of your Bible. You'd probably lose a third of the New Testament. But anyway, uh, then you'd have a holy Bible, wouldn't you? Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, two verse 24, 5, and 6. Here, to wrap it up with this, that the servant of the Lord, how, how do we do what Jesus did? The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. And in the old King James, it says, in opposition to themselves. So they have that divided house situation going on. I'm bad, I'm stupid, I'm no good, I, I hate myself. Um, those lies, where those are set up in opposition to the truth. So in, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition to themselves, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So here's, here's the, the, the gospel, the war. In a real, not three verses, you have the whole deal. The servant comes um, not to, to quarrel, not to condemn, not to judge them, not to point out their sins, but to teach, you know, be patient, understanding, you know, lest you, you know, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted, Galatians 6.1. And so God is asking us to continue his work here, being his hands and his feet, and to be kind, but be firm, know the authority, and be able to move in the spirit of the words, the gifts of the spirit, knowledge, wisdom, miracles, understanding, healing. And when that happens, when that happens in your life and you're walking in that, you are where you're supposed to be. Mark, Matthew chapter 10, he says, and when he had called, verse 1, when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out mm-hmm. and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then in verse, verses 7 and 8 says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And he said in John ten twenty one. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And Father God, we pray right now that as we have been sent, and the many that are listening today have been sent, that your spirit would take over in our lives, that we would drop our agendas, that we would be completely consumed with, taken over by walking in your spirit, doing your will, and that that obedience, Lord, out of, your, out of our will, willingness would come this power to bring people to repentance, he, healings, miracles, and the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father God, this is what we need now to transpire in this earth. This is what we need. We need the light to shine in the darkness. We need for people not to be afraid anymore, not to be uh, controlled or corralled like a bunch of cattle set for the slaughter. 
we, Father God, must have an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to revive us individually, to bring us back to the place of love and peace and reconciliation with you and the revelation of Jesus Christ. We pray that now for all who are listening, those who will listen, that you'd encourage their hearts, stir them up, and cause them, give them a great hunger for your word, that we will know truly that, as Daniel said, those that know their God will do exploits, and in that, Lord, we will become and do like and do what you did, Lord Jesus. We'll continue to be doing that till you come back. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name and for your glory and for the good of your people. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us next week. By the way, we're on liferecovery.com and truelightchurchmn.org for more information um, on these radio shows and lots of other information. God bless you all.